2: This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast, I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today joined by Dave Prentice and Adam Jones as we chew the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park this week and of course the only thing that is dominating the agenda is transfers or perhaps a quiet and lack of transfer activity, if you like. It's very much um, quiet on the Western Front at the minute, and we will endeavour to discuss why that may be, and, and if there is any sort of movement on the horizon uh, at Goodison Park. Pernod, um, why, why, why do you think it, I mean, look, it's, it's the end of May. June the 1st is when the international window opens, which is obviously yeah. Saturday. Uh, the domestic window already opens, we know, with Jonas Lossall, um coming in. W- why do you think it's been relatively quiet? And by that, we we'll obviously qualify that by, you know, there's not a great deal of, of firm news about players that we're chasing or even players that we're trying to sell. And why do, you, why do you think it is a little bit quiet?
1: I think precisely what you've said, that it's May the 29th. And, um, you know, the players do tend to disappear for a couple of weeks at the end of the season. Uh, it wasn't that long ago that you know, so Marbella was always the uh, <laughs> your favourite resort where you could guarantee you would have like you know. Uh- God knows how many scores you know so you know if not hundreds of footballers wandering up and down that uh, that seafront there uh, just depressurizing after the uh, after the season's just ended uh, I think nowadays they go to altogether more exotic locations and uh, you know not quite as accessible but precisely that I mean players do go on holiday they do unwind they do try and go missing for a couple of weeks and uh, that can obviously cause issues when you're trying to negotiate with them directly um, absolutely nothing to worry about at all. Uh, I am convinced that Everton do have a transfer strategy uh, that Marcel Brands and Marco Silva have sat down and discussed what positions they want to strengthen and which individuals they want to actually fill those positions. And I think, you know, once we get the Champions League, find that the way. Again, maybe the uh, the issue then will be uh, the UEFA Nations League because, you know, so clearly an awful lot of international footballers are still involved in that. And again, that causes issues. If you think back to when Everson signed Jordan Pickford, uh, he was on international duty he at was. the time. Hmm. And uh, I think the Everson club secretary had to fly out. You know, the
2: delegation flew out. Correct.
1: Yeah. And get permission from the FA to actually speak to Jordan and, you know, and talk to him while they were on training camp. And you know, so very often uh, international uh, managers aren't that willing to have their players distracted.
2: Same with Sandro Ramirez, a little bit to believe they completed yeah. it, didn't they, or got it signed? And uh, while he was away with Spain under 21. exactly,
1: yes. Yeah. So, so all these, you know, are bars to you know managers and club officials, you know, discussing terms and stuff with players. So I think we may have to wait, you know, a week or two yet uh, before we see any firm business. I mean, obviously Jonas Lossel was a different case entirely, and that he was out of contract. Um, he was very, very happy to agree terms very quickly. So we may have to wait a little while longer, but clearly nothing to worry about. But, you know, the appetite uh, for people for transfer stories is immense. I mean, here at the Echo, we have uh, all kinds of metrics for charting what kind of stories people are reading online. And uh, our rivals down the road at Manchester, Manchester Evening News, have got this story, which is nearly breaking the internet today. <laughs> and it tells you absolutely nothing. <laughs> it's, uh, it's effectively, you know, so why Manchester United haven't bought any yet. And there's no real insights into it. It's only what we've just discussed mm. here. But people can't get enough of it. They think they're getting more insights. If you want proper insights, I'm not blowing smoke up his backside because he's here. But Phil has put a story up today. Mm. Just explaining actually what is happening with all the targets that Everton have been linked with. The standard last week had a back page splash Everton in for Danny Welbeck. The not, uh, you know. So we speak to people at the football clubs. You know, we get informed steers on, um, you know, so whoever's trying to sign and who they may not be trying to sign. So you know, if you actually want, you know, so proper informed insights, Adam Jones, Phil Kirkbride, follow the two guys who are sat here. Um, oh, that's, me da- that's me down off the uh, lectern. Um, I know, I'll bring
2: Adam in in a second. But Prano, you've known more Everton managers than than we have even at this early stage and even all the points you've articulated about why it's quiet and why we should be just relax our managers still get a little bit twitchy and a little bit kind of you know pacing up and down their holiday villas even at this early stage because they know who they want oh yeah yeah and and, and you know things may not be
1: happening at the pace they would they would like some do yeah some are altogether more relaxed than others I mean, uh, some of the, the tales that Joe Royal has told me about uh, his near misses in the transfer market, quite terrifying when he was it when he was dealing with Peter Johnson and Co. Um, but you get the impression that Marco um, is, is quite a, I wouldn't say laid back. He's a very intense individual, uh, but I don't think he's the kind of manager that that will panic uh, altogether quickly. Although having said that, you know, he's he made a point of stressing before the end of the season how important the signings of Kurt and Andre Gomez were and you almost got the impression he was trying to I wouldn't say put pressure uh, on the the board or on Marcel um, but just I don't know, just chimmy them along a little bit, say, look, you know, these two guys are very, very important to our plans, you know, so by putting it out there publicly, um, that just you know creates a little bit more pressure. So yeah, you'll be impatient. I don't think you'll be panicking. Uh, you know, so, so some managers you know would actually tear their hair out and, and start panicking. And they all want the deals done sooner rather than later. Because what is absolutely crucial is these players are on board for the start of pre season training and so that they are there right, to get the necessary levels of fitness, you know, so into the bodies, but equally to learn the system to assimilate, you know, amongst their new uh, teammates to get to know the systems and things. Pre-season is so important to football clubs and, you know, Everton need players in. Then if it comes to the start of July and the players still haven't been, you know, identified and targeted, well, yeah, maybe we can start to worry a little bit then. But I don't think that will be the case. And um, working on the understanding that the players return to Finch Farm Adam mm-hmm. on
2: July the 1st, mm-hmm. um, of course, and then go to Kenya at the end of that week. How realistic is it, do you think, that of the six or so players that Marco and Marcel are targeting, how realistic is it for... for How, you know, how many of those players do you think Everton realistically could have brought in by that point? Because that's still a month of the window to go, isn't it?
0: I mean, obviously, we don't know yet exactly what, what names are on that list. But, you know... You'd like to think that Silver and Brands are working under the assumption that they can get all of them done mm. by the time the preseason turns around, because as Preno says, you know, we we got to the point last season where we were bringing in Bernard quite late, Andre Gomez, Yeri Mina, they all came in quite late. Zuma. And Zuma, of course. And like Zuma was quite a quick turnaround getting into the first team, but the rest of them, it took, you know, a fair a fair bit of time to A, get them fit and then B, get them properly. Integrated into this team and playing at their best level, like we didn't see Bernard's best football until probably about March, Mm. something like that. Uh, I'm not sure we've seen Yeni Mina's best football yet.
2: seen much football (laughs) exactly.
0: (laughs) So I think, as Preno says, getting them in uh, for the start of preseason I think is quite crucial. But I think it's interesting that preno has been talking about what you know what the players are doing now. But I think it's more about the clubs that we're going to be dealing with. You know the kind of situations that they're in you know Chelsea you know if we go if we're going to Chelsea trying to discuss Kurt Zuma Mm -hmm. at the minute they'll be thinking well we've got a Europa League final to be contending with like we don't want to be thinking about transfers right now and they might have a transfer ban as well that they've got to try and contend with Barcelona's season only finished last weekend with their you know Copa del Rey final so they've been have their minds set elsewhere you know a lot of clubs still haven't finished their seasons yet you know there'll be a lot of a lot of time for these clubs to you know settle down and properly think about their transfer strategies. I mean, I think Barcelona as well. There's so much speculation over their manager's future. You mm. know, they might want to sort that out before you know getting a new man in and seeing if he can assess the squad as well. So, I don't think there's any necessary rush to get things done until preseason starts. And I think that's if I if I was a football player's agent, I think I'd be. I'd be telling me client that right now, I'd be thinking, look, you know, as long as you're there for the start of preseason, then there's there's no real rush to get these kinds of things done. So, you know, as Prano says, if it gets towards, you know, first week of July and beyond, then that's when I'd be getting a little bit more concerned that the signings haven't been made. But, you know, especially with how quickly loss was brought in. I'm confident that
1: we'll have a couple of signings through the door by then. I was going to say, I think Lossell actually breaks the mould, doesn't he? So I was just trying to think then how many players have actually physically signed in May. Mm. And um, I don't know whether... Alec Clelland, I think, is about the only <laughs> one I can think of that rings a bell. You have, just to just, I'd have to go that far back.
2: I uh, double check, sorry. And I know that I'm sure people listening to the podcast will know instantly, but Stecklenberg, ironically, in a goalkeeper, as a nominee <laughs> right. free, free agent, was brought in very early under the Cumin reign. And he yeah. was actually the first signing. And the next signing didn't arrive until... The start of August I think which was yeah. which Adrissa Gay mm-hmm. so there was a huge gap because I think Stecklenburg had, had come in um, very early um, and, and as you say you know Marco isn't the type of pan- to panic and, and, and you know I believe he's certainly preaching patience at the minute but for him and Marcel I suppose and, and certainly Marco has been on record as describing this summer window as very important to the football club so in terms of he would have reason to be a little bit twitchy even at this early stage if you understand, you understand what I mean because yeah. he knows that the importance of, of where we are and you mentioned it, him saying that Zuma and Gomez are important for keeping hmm. the team at the level they are now so he you know he he, he understands the acute kind of how it, the balance on this is very very fine and, and could tip one way or the other couldn't it?
1: It's, it's a very very important window yeah I mean uh, Everson finished the season with a lot of momentum and um, But let's not forget that, you know, those really big wins against Arsenal, against Manchester United and against Chelsea were also tempered by that really, really poor display at Fulham. Um, the the Spurs game last match of the season was neither here nor there because you know Spurs were distracted you know they they were looking at other things Uh, but largely there was a lot of momentum developed and you've got to try and you know sort of keep that going and start the season very very well and Zuma and Gomez were crucial to a lot of what happened last season Uh, both very very influential performers and so you don't tend to think of them as being signings because Mm -hmm. they're already on board you know they've already seen the best of them and I know there's you know some Marco is keen to get them done, you know, so sooner rather than later. But then you want to also add two or three players to that in key areas that you'll already have identified. Um, if those two players can't be, you know, signed permanently, that then becomes, you know, four and five players, which is suddenly like half a team again, which is the kind of major upheaval. You don't really want to be, you know, integrating into a club. So, you know, first things first, those two players are absolutely crucial. And I think, you know, the sooner you can get, you know, negotiations started for those, the better.
2: I mean, I did ask Marco this himself, and Adam, you, you might be able to offer an opinion on this. At what point do we as a football club have to walk away from those from talks with those two clubs. Because the stuff with Barcelona, as an example, with Mina, rumbled on mm-hmm. all summer. Mm-hmm. You know, Barcelona, as is their right, were trying to hold out for the best deal possible. Marcel was very firm on his valuation of the player. And it went it went to the last couple of days. It went to the wire almost, didn't it, in terms of the signing. Gomez was obviously a late addition. In terms of Gomez and Zuma, say this starts to rumble on, and Chelsea perhaps is a little bit more of a, of a um, pertinent example because mm-hmm. of the transfer ban and the unique situation they find themselves in. At what point do we walk away and go right? We've just got we need players in those positions. We want your two players, but we haven't got time to be going around the houses again. Mm. We've got to walk away and look at somebody else.
0: I think it's I think it's to do with the timing and it's probably to do with the price as well, especially with less so with Gomez, because I think actually he's probably going to be an affordable sort of price. But with Zuma in particular, it's so hard to judge, especially with Chelsea's transfer ban. Like they could, they could reasonably sit there and say, well, we want 35, 40 million because, you know, we know how important he's been to you. So we, we think you'll pay that much. So if it gets to that point, you know, again, you'd like to think that brands and silver have had to sit down and they've identified some other targets because while while both players have been massively important, it's not as if there aren't players in world football who don't share the same sort of attributes, the same sort of profile. So, you know, whilst, you know, we might be taking a little bit of a risk if we were going for an alternative to Zuma, you know, going for, going for that alternative, paying, let's say, maybe 15 million less and getting a player in for the start of pre-season, I think you've just got to weigh up whether that's going to be better than, you know, Getting it down to the wire, you know, another deadline day where we sat in the, sat there thinking, you know, are we are we going to get this deal over the line? Like that always that always tends to happen for some reason. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I'd, I'd like to think that if it's if it's getting towards, you know, if you're getting towards the start of August and you're still mm-hmm. you you're still you know at an impasse with the likes of Chelsea over this kind of deal, then you've got to be thinking we've we've got to look at alternatives here, which is unfortunate, but you know. It's, that's that's the way the cookie crumbles sometimes.
2: What's more important, and I suspect I know what you, you'll say, but it's worth asking anyway, what's more important? Say Everton's got six targets, which we believe is, is, is roughly what they're after. Is it important that um, we just secure the six targets, even if that means all six come on the final seconds of deadline day in, in the first week in August? Or is it more important that we get half the first choice targets in um, and the other three are plan B, but they come in much earlier and they're in early at pre-season. Oh, wow.
1: It's, it's a tough old question. Um, I, I suspect, knowing Marcel and Marco as we do, that they would want to hold out for the actual correct individuals that fit the bill perfectly. If they can't get them this window, fine. You know, so they wait until they can get people of absolute quality rather than, you know, so going for a plan B but Dan then runs the risk of, you know, so sort of possibly having, you know, so sort of three or four months of treading water before the January transfer window well, that's opens. That's what I'm saying. Do, so, do you yeah. run the risk of? And I know some managers in the past uh, would probably compromise, mm. uh, and you know, I can think of a few. You know, Howard Kendall was very good at doing that. If he couldn't get, you know, the, the player he wanted, he would look and try and th- seek solutions, mm. uh, workable solutions elsewhere. Um, sometimes it worked in his favour. Sometimes it didn't. Um, but you suspect, you know, the, the margins are so fine nowadays in football. You know, to, to finish where I was and last season and improve on that, they need to have an upgrade in, in certain positions. And I think accepting plan Bs in those positions might not wash. What, so, what's the point of having a plan B though if you're not going to be if you're not going to utilise it yeah, in any sort of B? We don't know. Um, you know I'd, I'd, I'd like did, did to think they've identified multiple targets. Marco
2: did say to me that in the t- in relation to Zuma and Gomez, there are alternatives. Yeah. Um, but I guess the other question on that is: Is the framework of the team as it stands, take away Zuma and Gomez for argument's sake, is that is the the squad in a healthy enough position to start the season off uh, to a requisite standard without, and and then um, and then integrate new signings? If it were to come down to deadline day, is is the squad in a healthier position than it was 12 months ago to actually make a better start and a be- make a better fist of things? Early on, if X, Y, and Z yeah. you and need that. a few months to, to get up to speed, like we have experienced this season, yeah. just gone
1: Well, uh, yeah, I don't think this. it is. I mean, certainly not well, in I, think it, I think it is. Midfield, well, without Andre Gomez. Well, Morgan Schneiderlin stepped in there exactly, for the last yeah, few games we, last season. Would you, would you be, be, be just, happy starting yeah. to see them with Schneidlin and Davis suppose, and Gay? I suppose, I, I'm yeah. obviously
2: saying, with the knowledge that, well, not necessarily Gomez, because he would be ready, but say we couldn't get Gomez, but he's he, the plan B for Gomez was in the building, but not fit to play.
0: All right, somewhere yeah, here. Yeah, possibly. I, I'd, be, yeah. I'd be fine. I think we're definitely better than we were 12 months ago because, you know, we we hadn't really played any games with Richarlison in the first team yet. We hadn't... Dean we, didn't, we, start, you, the yeah, Dean didn't start the season. Dean didn't start the season. Bernard, obviously, as I've already yeah. said, wasn't fit. So we've already integrated those players in. I think we've had young players who've come off leaps and bounds over the course of last season. You know, we've got Michael Keane in a much more confident state. Uh, Jordan Pickford as well as got another course, yeah. season under his bell, Calvert Lewin. Yeah, I think we'd we'd absolutely be in a stronger position, but it's still not an ideal position. It's no. not it's not it's not the position that you'd ever choose to start a season. Absolutely in, not, Especially for what we want Everton to be finishing. No, absolutely not yeah.
2: but you're you're agreeing or 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 you would say that the squad is better equipped to to deal with this with the same situation this summer that happened twelve months ago when there was an influx of players late on, and not all of them were ready to play. If if it were to come, to if pass. it were
0: to come to that, I think yeah. yes, yeah. As it stands, yeah, the squad is yeah. just about stronger, yeah. Say maybe centre backs were maybe not as strong, but apart from that,
1: yeah, I I think what's also massively important is uh, the hand that gets dealt to you when the Premier League fixtures come out. Um, (laughs) It's only, what is it, 13th June the 13th, it's only a fortnight away. And you know, if you'll get, and you can't predict, you can't say, well, that's an easy start, that's a difficult start.
0: We we always seem to get drawn away to a promoted club first game of the season, which is
1: always difficult. Well, if you can get like, you know, the first four or five fixtures and avoid Manchester City and Liverpool and, you know, sort of teams that you're going to really have to be on your A game to get anything from, um, you can possibly get by, you know, so with, you know, plan Bs, if you like, or, you know, without the actual targets that you want on board. But, you know, if the fixture list does del... del Deal your tricky hand, which it has done in recent seasons, as poor old Ronald Koeman found out. And uh, as, was, as was brought up
2: in a conversation I had with um, him uh, um, last week, um, and you be able to read that on Monday. Um, yes, indeed. It does. It's, it does
1: make it altogether more difficult. Yeah,
2: indeed. Um, if I reminded you both that the first signing of last summer was not through the door until July the twenty fourth, was it really? Mm-hmm. Does, wow. that, does uh, that surprise you? Concern you?
0: No, because I remember sat here on this podcast. And uh, like guests that we had at the time were saying, oh, it's, it's a disgrace that we haven't brought in enough signings yet. No. And I was vehemently saying it doesn't matter as long as the right players come yeah. in, then it doesn't matter about the timing. And, and I still do kind of agree with that. Like, you know, if even if it's not number one target, if it's maybe plan B, plan C, as long as they're the right player, the right profile, the right fit for this squad, I'm not overly concerned about the timing of it. Like as as long, as long as they are through the door, then that's fine. But like I would much prefer them to be earlier this time, if it was mm-hmm. if it was at all possible, you know, to to be able to get them uh, involved in like you know this pre-season trip to Kenya and wherever the club are, else else are going to be going, you know, be much better to get them integrated earlier because it's only going to benefit us when we you know when we're heading into the crucial months of the season, you know, like you. December's January's when things are really kicking into high gear you know mm. you want you want to have had a full pre-season behind you know like let's let's hope the likes of Andre Gomez if he's going to come in you know having a full pre-season behind him would be I think absolutely crucial when we get to the, uh, that stage
1: As you mentioned as well I mean I didn't realise it was quite as late as that July 24th mm. but as a result I mean Lucas Dean has been a success all season but we didn't see him for the first three or four games I mean letting Bain started the season um Bernard and Andre Gomez were, were slow burners. We didn't see them really hit their peak until you know until Christmas time, I suppose. We didn't actually see them introduced. You know, so till October yeah. was it mm-hmm. September, October? Uh, Yerry Mina, as you mentioned, you know, we didn't really see much of him at all. Um, I think his debut was down at Chelsea, wasn't it? Which was like quite was late on the, the season. Yeah. So yeah, you know, you run the risk of not seeing these players at their best until the season is well, you know, underway. And if you look at Everton's season last season okay, you know, the, where they finished the season and the momentum they achieved at the end was good. But some of the points that were lost early in the season, especially at Goodison. West
2: Ham still you know, rankles. Huddersfield. You
1: know. Huddersfield, yeah. yeah. So some of those results at Goodison. And with if, the players on board earlier, you know, if for argument's sake Bernard and Gohm was both to be, and, you know, flying by that stage, you know, would they have be been different results? Quite possibly. And they make a difference in the end. You, mm-hmm. know, you could have been looking at Europa League football next season rather than, you know, sort of just missing out. It's difficult to say. I think what's interesting though is that,
0: you know, last last summer... You know, obviously, we brought in Brands and so Sil- they were both working together from the start of June onwards when you know Silver yeah, first joined exactly, the club. Yeah, yeah. But this time, they've had a whole year behind them Very to be able point, to yeah. identify what areas of the squad that need improving. You know, Silver has been telling us for months and months that he's been sat down with Brands, you know, throughout this season discussing I who think- the possible transfer targets are going to be. I
2: think December they. Uh, identified positions and I think it was in January February time that it was players really exactly
0: so they've they've had so much more time to be able to prepare for this I'm, I'm, I can only hope that the, that means it's going to be a little bit acting a little bit quicker this summer mm. because of that
2: yes interesting and we shall see what's the space on all of that um, obviously we were trying to bring bring some clarity to the swathe of rumours that fill your uh, screens and phones Um Welbeck, we don't believe is uh, a target. Uh, a bit of a red herring, I think that one in in, in certain reports. Any disappointment if if Welbeck, as we believe, he's not on uh, any transfer list? No, not <laughs> whatsoever.
1: No. <laughs> no, he's never available consistently enough. You know, it's it's taken a bit of a punt. He has been a very very good player. Yes, um, but he's just consistently unavailable. Mm. Okay. Um, so it's a
0: shame for him because yeah.
1: you no, know, I do like him as a player when he's yeah. on the pitch. But you
0: know, for the amount of wages that he was that command be one of the
2: crucial his age and his, his wage
1: <laughs> that yeah. would be the issue wouldn't yeah that we we can't afford
0: to be taking players like that on
1: mm. at this stage of the yeah. club's development we, we've done that in the past I mean David Moyes had to do that yeah, because of the club's financial position with a number of players, Louis Saha was one that I think he got paid on a pay-as-you-play play play, yeah. Yeah. because of his fitness record and ultimately proved a very good signing, you know, for the time he was at the his club. Fi- his fitness record ended up quite good as yeah. well. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it's a chance and uh, Everton, I think, have gone beyond that. You know, they, they can now afford, you know, players you know, so who basically don't need to be paid on a pay-as-you-play basis.
2: Uh, Mitrovic, there was very strong denials coming out of Cinema and that story emerged last week to say that Everton were very interested in the Fulham striker again, disappointed at nah, different end of his different end of his of his career, yeah. you know, proved himself a handful, certainly when we went down to Craven Cottage. Well I was just gonna say
1: you two guys obviously will have seen him at much closer quarters than I did, you know, sort of when he bullied the life out of Phil Jackie Elka down there. But again, no, I, I just see I think i described before that game, you know, a big lump who, you know, puts himself about. That's a bit harsh. He's got more than that about him. You know, he's more of an old-fashioned, traditional centre-forward who can be a real handful. But again, he's right near the end of his career now and the money they'd have to expend on him. No, I like to think we can afford a more mobile, you know, more rounded, younger version. Yeah, I think that's it. It's the
0: mobility that that tends to put me off about Mitrovic. Like I I, I tend to think of... A striker in the Marco Silva sort of system is like a Calvert Lewin. Some of the U is big yeah. and strong and can hold the ball up well, but he's so quick as well, yeah. so mobile. Uh, as Silva keeps saying, he's able to play across that front three if if needs be.
1: Mitrovic just doesn't fit into that bracket. Hmm. I'll play right wing back as Ronald Koeman wants to out against Stoke. <laughs> well, got an assist. It was probably a success, wasn't it? Um, what do we
2: make of, of of? And it seems eminently sensible that uh, we understand that that. Um, Everton are looking for a winger but who is a left-footed um, with the idea that actually he would probably play on the right more than the left at this stage but a left-footed
1: winger seems to be something that we need to address the balance as Marco alluded to recently Yeah I mean uh, playing him on the right an interesting tactic I mean funnily enough Howard Kendall was always an advocate of a right footed left back, and uh, that was why he brought in Pat Van den Haag. Yeah,
0: um, had a made it under yeah. Howard Kendall. That was exactly my position. Well, yeah. I mean,
1: John Bailey, who was a, a, you know, a very decent yeah. attacking fullback and lost his place to Pat Van den Haag, you know, for that precise reason because of wingers that cut in and he wanted somebody that was stronger on his inside, uh, you know, an ability to, to prevent that from happening. Um, yeah, I've got no issues with that at all. Um, it'd be interesting to see, you know, who makes way for that. I mean, I know Theo Walcott played a lot of last season down that right-hand side and I'm trying to, I'm trying to be polite, you know. He, he, does, he,
2: does the idea of playing left-footed players on the right, is that is that Marco's style of encouraging the full to get beyond... And making the space for the fullbacks. Is yeah. that why that's? You'd so- imagine
1: so. I mean, fullbacks are so important, you know, so in his system. I mean, uh, you know, Dean and on towards the end of the season. Absolutely. You know, yeah. So we're, uh, we're very, very important in that. Um, it's a very, very fluid system, you know, so that he uses uh, the players have got to be mobile, basically, and be able yeah. to cut across. The interesting one, though, is that if that is the case and they are targeting somebody for that position, what does that do for Adam Ola Luckman's future? Um, I mean, I know. He's two-footed effectively. You you can use both feet, you know, so equally well. Uh, But he's just being left out of the England under-21 squad, you know, for the summer tournament. Um, He didn't really figure much towards the end of the season at Everton. And if they are also identifying a player to play in that role, does this indicate the end for Luckman?
2: It was interesting, though, that there there was a couple of reports in the Nationals, wasn't there, recently saying that he he is now up for sale. The feedback I got was perhaps not quite as cut and dry as that, but it certainly wasn't knocked down... As in, as it had been earlier in the season, and certainly wasn't knocked down as it was last summer. Sure. Um, so interesting to watch.
1: Well, what's going well. Every time Marco is being asked about it, he does come out consistently with the same reply that you know he is governed by what he sees on the training pitch. Mm. And some days he sees luck absolutely tear the place apart and think, "Wow, now is his time." But then the following day, you know, so he goes back into his shell again. So, you know, he, the lad's got to show consistency, I suppose, yeah. you know, so, to get the opportunity.
2: The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Okay, uh, before we finish, just slightly moving away from transfers. Um, the final, third and final of the promoted teams was confirmed this week, who Everton will be playing next season. Aston Villa booking their place back in the Premier League with a win over Derby County at Wembley. Joining Sheffield United and Norwich. Um, are we pleased at that trio? I'm I'm quite,
0: quite two, out of, two out of three bad. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm quite and you know which one I don't want I'm, I'm yeah. excited to go to Villa Park next mm. season I've never been so oh, it, oh you're it, in for the trees well yeah I've like heard yeah. loads of stories about how good and like famous old ground it is yeah. so yeah I'm, excited, yeah I'm excited to go, go there and I think you know they've played some quite nice football Jack Relish has really stepped up to the mark this season hasn't he so I'm, I'm interested to see how he reintegrates himself back into the Premier League especially uh, and I was really happy with Sheffield United getting up as well. It's a bit of a bit of an underdog story. I mean, suppose it just sums up the unpredictability of the championship, really, that they can go on such a run mm-hmm. and finish second. So yeah.
2: Preno, you've been travelling to football grounds longer than I have. Is there a quick way to Norwich?
1: <laughs> now that they've opened that a drive road, quickly the, the quick way A road at the bottom of the M6 it's better than it used to be you used to have to go across the 62 and down the A1 and it would take forever and once you get you know sort of that A road that leads into Norwich it's just like 80 miles of what, flat
2: one road in expanse. one road out Yeah,
1: Norwich is a great place to go um, you know I've, I've done it overnight in the plat and ended up in a nightclub called Hector's House which rings <laughs> a bell. Um, which was very which was very very good um, but no I mean it, it's a long destination destination, which is why I raised eyebrows when I said yes. sorry, it's a three-game bad." Uh, nothing against Norwich as a club, and it's a lovely city to visit, but it's a hell of a long time getting down there. Sheffield United, Bramall Lane's not exactly, you know, sort of the most character-filled mm. ground in the world, but again, going over Snake Pass, uh, yep. there's a big reservoir just before you get to Sheffield, <laughs> and there's a cracking little pub directly opposite it, if you fancy a, a post-match pint on the way home. <laughs> I f- I um, feel- you always trust Prenton to help the <laughs> pubs,
2: can't you? Well, I feel now that we're duty-bound to check out uh, Hector's house <laughs> <in> the-, <laughs> the trip to Carrow Road, comes <laughs> But
1: then the, the pièce de résistance is Villa Park, undoubtedly. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's not quite the same because that Edwardian facade they had, which basically was so attractive and which gave it such character and such history. And some bright spark thought it was a great idea to replace that with a modern glass-fronted, you know, sort of appendage. And it, it doesn't work. You know, it's, it, it does definitely demean the stadium because it just had such like Ibrox it had such character you know such such history about him but once you get inside the stadium the old Archibald Leech crisscross is still there it's it's still it still feels like a proper old stadium and Evertonians of my vintage, I'm afraid to say, you know, do have great memories of so many FA Cup semi finals down there, uh, a League Cup semi final. Kind of when, 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 yeah. when Paul Rideout you know, scored for Villa, but Everson managed to cling on and, you know, so I get to Wembley for the first time in what seemed like an awful long time. Uh, so, yeah, lots and lots of happy memories of Villa Park and it's easy to get to, you know, Indeed. it's like something right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, everything ticks that box.
2: As, as it stands, and obviously we will, we'll of course, review this as summer goes on because there will be many changes at their clubs as much as ours who do you think as it stands is best equipped to stay up
0: Villa I I think because Villa have been there and done it before you know they've been waiting for the opportunity to get back into the Premier League for so long got so much money behind them I think they'll be they'll be well well equipped by the time the season comes around uh, to be able to survive I think Norwich is the interesting one because they're the typical side who played by all accounts some really nice football in the championship last season is it Daniel Fark is yeah. their manager you know, set, set them off really well but I think it's really hard to be able to translate that I think the only I think Wolves are really the only team who have been able to do it mm. over the last few years and have been able to bring up that brand of football into the Premier League I think they need to try and avoid the trap that Fulham fell into of just signing far too many players They like they just they need to add to their squad definitely but yeah, I'm. I'm intrigued to see how how uh, they go about it. Sheffield United uh, yeah. at, at this stage, I worry for them. Yeah. It,
2: it does feel, <laughs> Preno, that you know before it before any moves have been made, that Villa would be the club who would probably feel most confident in attracting the right calibre of player to keep them up.
1: Well, because of the size of the club, because of the, the stature, you know, they, they should be in the Premier League. you know, took they on
2: they're, all of Balassi's wages last season well, as yeah, an example
1: of that. They've been European Cup winners in the not-too-distant past, mm. you know. So, yeah, they're, they're a club that does have status. Norwich is the interesting one and in that people... Think there's a possibility they could do what Wolves did because of the kind of football they play, mm. but they don't have the, the strength and depth, they don't have the bodies on board, you know, and they would need to, as Wolves did, you know, spend heavily Absolutely. to try and ensure that they could, you know, at least retain that status. But no, Villa will attract players, uh, they, they will, you know, so sort of keep some of the better players they've got. Um, and yeah, of the three, I think they're the ones you'd be more confident about making a go of it and, you know, so sort of sticking around. I think what's interesting for Villa is that. They're going to lose Tommy Abraham
0: by all accounts. Oh, he's like been massive he, for them. He's, yeah. already, he's already been talking yeah. up, you know, returning to Chelsea and you know accepting. Chelsea, team? well, he's he he seems to be hell bent on trying to go to Chelsea. You know, would, like they, they and they the
2: first player that ha- who rightly had that 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 mentality, mm. but equally soon found out that the reality is much different to how they imagined it.
0: How much is the transfer ban going to affect his future though? because they, they're not going to be able to sign anyone. They, their striker's going to be Higuain, Girouds just signed a new contract, mm. and then one of, presumably, Batuayi and Abraham. Presumably, they'll be able to make a bit more money if yeah. they sold Batuayi. So uh, I'd i be willing to bet Abraham might get a bit, a bit of a chance next season. And even if Villa do sign him permanently, he's going to cost... They're going to be in a similar sort of situation that we are <laughs> with Zuma. You know, yeah. he's going to... He's going to cost quite a wedge to be able to get him out and would, of Chelsea. And would
2: Villa do that? I mean, exactly. Like they've made many expensive mistakes in the past.
0: Exactly. Don't. So they, they don't want to fall into the same trap that got them relegated in the first place. So uh, I think I think there are still some really interesting problems that even Villa will face, let alone the likes of
1: Sheffield United and Norwich. I think what's also worth mentioning as well is the fact that Aston Villa have got promotion. Means this. Everton are still the team that's played the most seasons really? of top flight football by some way. I think it's <laughs> 10 seasons. And if Villa had stayed down, a team would have assumed second place in that list, which is our rivals across the park, who are right. about uh, 11 seasons behind us. But the fact that Aston Villa have got <laughs> okay. promoted it's their 106th season, season of top flight football. So Liverpool are still third. Haven't I heard the Everton v Villa is the most played fixtures in yeah, it English it football? Absolutely, yeah, and that will be restored again. So okay. We
2: look look forward to uh, a return to Villa Park, perhaps less so the journey to Norwich, but nevertheless, (laughs) uh, welcome back to the Premier League uh, to everyone. Um, Thank you very much for listening. Um, All quiet on the Western front, but we managed to fill the silence with some interesting and uh, insightful transfer chat. chat, And I hope you enjoyed it. Remember, you can subscribe, rate and review us on iTunes and the Acast app. So please do so. You have been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast.